Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production, where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, RPA is proud to present Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. Hi, this is Steve Silver with Silver Screen Videos, and you're listening to Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. You are listening to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. We get to read fiction on the show and talk about some movies, books, you name it. If you like what I do here, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com forward slash Aaron Frail. You'll get some books and other cool stuff for your support. Go ahead and also reach out to me at Aaron's Horror Show at gmail.com, Aaron Horror Show on Twitter, or Aaron's Horror Show on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. We got more Terrific Chronicles. They found the ship. Let's see what happens. After Sid had discovered the location of the vessel, the rest was surveillance work. Cal would have scolded Sid and his companion for forgetting the second half of their duty and not attempting a triangulation of the vessel inside the building, but the crew received the news well. She decided to let it slide. The morale of the crew began to falter during the months they spent searching for the ship, and she wanted them to feel like the end of their time on Earth was coming to a close. When they had first arrived, they were nervous. They were escaped Touristicube prisoners, after all. However, the nervousness of being caught began to fade as the fake identities they had bought for themselves seemed to hold up under scrutiny. Celar was even stopped by a Touristicube patrol at one point, and his identity seemed to work out. Their prisoner identity was dead. Cal decided that her full name, Cal the Hawk, was also dead. Da was her family name. The middle name was always shared by the family. Hawk was the name bestowed by her village, which translated to wind. The last was a name the village gave to each child. They named her after the wind because the wind was persistent and always persevered. She would need to have inner strength because her body did not have outer strength like her peers. However, Cal always wondered if she was named after the wind because her father had drifted away like a leaf on the wind. Regardless of the history of her name, Da was dead because her family was dead. Hawk was dead because her village was dead. She buried Da Hawk with the memories of the people she had lost. However, there was one memory that she never wanted to let go. It was her mother's. Her mother gave her the first name of Cal after a wise prophet of the stories of legend. She kept the name Cal 
because that was the only thing left from her mother. She would keep her mother alive by keeping her name. When the time came to change her identity and create a fake one in the system, she stuck with Cal. Her official name was Cal Arjun, according to her IDs. She grew up on a station not too far from her home world of Nicromoto, in a territory that was not quite controlled by the Shisharian Collective or the UPE. When the people of Earth scanned a fake ident chip and planted into her arm, it came up with the fiction of her life. At first, she was nervous, like the rest of the crew. She expected that the Touristicus would scan her DNA and they would know Cal the Hawk had not died in prison but was alive on Earth. However, the DNA piracy laws were pretty clear. They couldn't scan her DNA unless she gave them a reason. She wasn't going to break any laws. Yet. Hayden had the worst time on Earth. At first, he seemed like he was doing well. He was glad to be back, and he seemed to be most excited by the food chains only located on Earth. Cal found most of the food quite unremarkable, except for the Kansas City barbecue. She had to try it after hearing Sarge talk about it with such reverence. She was impressed. However, the most interesting part was how close it was to banjo meat with the sauce prepared by her village. It was the closest thing to home she had felt in a while. Being close to home was what eventually wore down Hayden. Once the thrill of eating food he had grown up with had worn off, he missed his family. His father and brother were a short ride away from Albuquerque. However, Hayden could not visit them. According to the records from prison, he was dead. As long as he stayed dead, they were safe. If he had visited his family, no matter how many precautions he took, there is a chance that he would be discovered. If Hayden was discovered to be alive, then how many of the prisoners who were considered dead in the hall breaches of the prison were also alive? Hayden became increasingly miserable knowing his family were so close, and there was nothing he could do about it. The months were hard on him, and he was overjoyed to hear the news that they had discovered the location of the ship. It was easier for Hayden to know he couldn't visit because they were light years apart. However, when Hayden became miserable, he was almost easier to deal with. He would become super focused on the tasks at hand. He would not chit-chat or talk with anyone. When something was bothering him, the Hayden who had convinced the entire crew to attend a movie night would disappear. He would no longer force an incredulous clue to eat an earth dish called pizza. Granork had been opposed to the existence of a dish called pizza in the beginning, but became its biggest supporter and always suggested it when they ate together. Hayden did not rejoice in his success of converting the crew to pizza like he normally would. While all business Hayden was easier to deal with, the fun Hayden was missed by the crew, and Cal wanted to get off this world as soon as possible. There were too many memories for Hayden and too much danger for her crew. Rough outposts at the edges of the unexplored parts of the galaxy were where they were comfortable. They knew how to navigate the underworld. Earth had been a challenge in many ways they didn't expect. For Hayden, the challenge had been a reminder that his life before prison was gone, and there's nothing he can do to get it back. To keep Hayden's mind off his family, Cal decided that they would infiltrate the storage facility together. Another reason for keeping Hayden close was that Maker had alerted her to the fact that they might have a traitor in their crew. One of the crew was making trips outside their designated search areas. One trip could be as simple as sightseeing, but several to the same city were suspicious. Cal wanted to keep her most trusted crew members close to her. Since the storage facility was an expensive place, they needed to 
exude expensive tastes. Hayden, dressed in a wild purple suit with even crazier hair. Cal, on the other hand, wore a business skirt, a button-up shirt, blazer, and glasses. Her hair was down and styled, which felt odd on the side of her face as she was used to no-nonsense hair pulled back in a ponytail. Granork had come with them. He had large sunglasses and a leather jacket. Hayden led them into the storage facility, where they fell into their roles as the sales associate with a thin tie and a wide smile approached. Are you sure about this place? Hayden said in a fake Martian accent. It looks so dirty. I assure you it's the best in the city, Cal said in the meek voice of a personal assistant trying to do her best. The sales associate quickly surmised that Hayden was in charge and stuck his hand out in greeting. Welcome to the vault. How can I... Granork, playing the part of a bodyguard, stepped in front of the man, walking towards Hayden. All Granork had to do was play a bodyguard and look mean, which was something he did when he wasn't trying, so it wasn't much of a stretch. It's okay, let the man pass, Hayden said, and Granork moved aside. You know how our can-dos can get a little overzealous, but what they lack in social graces is made up in ten-foot loyalty. <laughs> yes, very good, the sales associate said. I did want to mention that our cleanliness... Yes, yes, Hayden waved off the man. I'm sure it's all good and proper, but you have something that will fit my needs. I need quite a bit of storage. I can check. Uh, what did you intend to store? You don't know? You don't know? Hayden exploded with mock offense. Grenork grunted and Cal stepped into the situation and spoke to the sales associate in hushed tones. I know he can be a pain in the ass. Uh, not everyone has the same taste as their grandparents. Cal said the last part loud enough for Hayden to hear her and sent him into a fresh set of rants. My art is the civic centers of many capitals throughout the known. She turned to the clerk and pulled him away from the raving artist. He is a sculptor, one of the best in the galaxy. It's a good thing statues don't talk or you'd have to put up with him all day. Am I right? The sales associate smiled and nodded. He looked nervously to Hayden, whose ranting escalated to kicking and cursing. If he doesn't come down, uh, I I'm going to have to call security. Caden pulled the man away and said, Don't worry, he'll calm down soon enough. Interstellar travel makes him grumpy. Now we heard you were the ones to ask because we require an unusual storage situation. You see, sculptures don't fit in regular holding, so we were looking for something big. Well, we do have units of all sizes. I was thinking more in order of a warehouse. A, a, a warehouse? If it's a full-scale commercial enterprise, there are plenty of shipping companies. Hayden calmed down, mumbling and muttering. We require a little more discretion. His latest sculpture was sold to the Vivian Planetary Embassy. I trust that you say they spare no expense. With a warehouse, things tend to go missing. Shipments are lost. We have our own vessel and we'd like to use it for delivery. We broker all the transactions. What we don't have is a safe place to store them here on Earth. I trust that you can help us with that. Well, we do have some units with that have a spaceport for a spaceship to dock. Quite pricey, mind you. Trust me when I say we spare no expense. After some tough negotiation on Cal's part, the sales associate agreed to show them a similar unit to the one with a prototype was most likely being stored. He took them up to the highest level of the building. The four of them packed themselves into an express elevator that shot up to the 302nd floor. The sales associate had used a gold key to access the control panel. Cal noted that there are two more floors above their destination slot for another key. 
storage facility was a small building, and she was sure there were more than 304 floors. As the elevator slowed, their stomach lurched and they swayed on their feet. The sales associate displayed no signs of discomfort, whereas Cal felt disorientated for a moment. She hoped the man wouldn't notice her split second of discomfort. Personal assistant for the rich and powerful would be used to express elevators. The power of the G-Force acting on her when they take off a shuttle down to a planet did little to prepare her for the strange G-Force sensations in her room that wasn't visibly moving. The Citronite also didn't prepare her as it had artificial gravity field to protect the occupants from rattling around during flight. Most starships had microgravity generators and computers smart enough to compensate for all the twists and turns of combat flight. However, small crafts like the shuttles and fighters usually didn't have the capacity for complex computer systems and microgravity generators just to keep occupants from feeling the effects of gravity and acceleration. Unless, of course, the owner of the shuttle didn't care about maneuverability and fuel efficiency. A shuttle could always be weighed down with a large computer like the kind on a starship. Unlike the computers of the past where technology shrunk with each generation, the computers in Cal's time grew bigger and bigger with the complexity of tasks they had to perform. Computers had reached their microscopic limit as processors could go no smaller than an atom with the invention of quantum computing. Soon, quantum computers were given tasks so monumental they had trouble computing with a single atom acting as the processor. Thus, four atoms were needed, all working in tandem. Soon, room-sized computers of quantumly entangled atoms churning through infinite bits of data were used to process large, real-time information, such as keeping a starship's artificial gravity stable during a firefight. The sales associate took them to a floor with four doorways, two on the east of the elevator and either side of the hallway, and two on the west. The clerk began to well-rehearse sales pitch. He didn't seem to notice Cal's brief moment of disorientation. We have four units that make up the footprint of the upper floors. Each has a port for a private landing vessel. Our affordable options even have room for a small shuttle, all the way up to a larger cargo vessel. He waved his hand at the northwest door and opened to a large storage space. The door will be DNA coded and cannot be opened, even by my members of our staff. DNA record is kept confidential. Cal tuned out the rest of the sales pitch as she surveyed the space. The look was wrong. There was a port for a medium-sized cargo vessel and lots of space. The door for the ship was on the side of the building. The port she had seen in the photograph was on the roof. She cut off the sales representative. We would feel safer with a vertical landing pad. The sales associate was ready with a response. The ships that enter Earth's atmosphere are required to use autopilot network. It's not the piloting, but rather the ease of a competitor in a building across the street catching a glimpse of inside and stealing the design before we reveal it to the universe. A vertical landing plan takes less time than a lateral one. Less time with the door open means less time to glimpse inside. Do you see our dilemma? We have privacy screens that we could set up around the landing pad. Money is of no concern. I see another key slot in the elevator. Oh, it's not about the money. I'd be happy to show you the top floor unit if I could. It's just that it's under long-term contract. This place is useless. I told you they would be of no help. Hayden yelled and stormed away. Granork followed him. The sales associate stepped back and forth to look at Cal and at Hayden. He'll be fine. He just needs to cool down. 
Hayden Grenork used his foul temper as an excuse to place themselves on different floors. That way, they can get different measurements on the strength of the signal connecting to the prototype. If Maker had the measurements from the ground floor, the middle floor, and one of the upper floors at the same time, he could calculate the position of the ship inside the building. While Cal was sure it was on the top floor, the best plan to date involved renting out a unit on the level under and finding a way to burrow through the ceiling. However, since she needed to stall the sales associate while the others got in position, she thought she'd pursue other options. Who owns the contract? At least give us an option to contact them about buying it out, she asked. <laughs> we value the privacy of our clients, the sales associate said. I can't even tell you what units are rented out on this floor. Could you at least give me a glimpse on the top floor unit's hallway? Surely that's not confidential. <laughs> I'm afraid the elevator opens up to the unit. It's DNA locked in addition to the security key. If you need the top floor unit, we have a sister company in Chicago. Uh, that's okay, tell me more about this unit, she said as she feigned interest for the rest of the conversation. The clerk had given them all the information she needed. They didn't need to break into a unit designed to keep people out. They need to find a way to exploit the elevator. She received a signal from the ship's interface. Grand Orc had been successful in gaining access to the middle floor, and Hayden stayed in the lobby. The middle floors were accessible with an access code. It was easy enough for a hulking creature like Grand Orc to look over a person's shoulder while they entered their code. Cal wrapped up the conversation with the sales associate and reconnected with the others on the ground floor when they saw a group of heavily armed Touristicus enter the lobby. They all had the insignia that she'd not seen in a long time. They were Machiarnik soldiers, and they had slaughtered her village. The man who gave the order, he was in the front of the line. They were marching straight for the express elevator. Cal was almost dumbstruck to do anything but watch him walk by. Without thinking about it, she walked up right next to the man. Questions blurted out at her by her companions felt like they were miles away. She lost all sense of where she was and became singularly focused. She stepped in front of the oncoming troops and they stopped. Step aside, one of the soldiers barked, and the whine of his weapon charge seemed to punctuate the command. Hold on, Makuarnak said, and cupped his hand on her cheek. A chill went down her spine. Do I know you? You seem familiar. Cal had rehearsed many times what she would say to Makuarnak the next time she saw him. She had an entire scene mapped out in her mind. She had played the scene over and over. Now that he was here, she was at a loss of what to say. There weren't any words that came to mind, nothing that could bring back her village, and the fact that she had held on to the hatred for so long was a disgrace to her people. They would forgive a man for their murders. However, she could never forgive. Before Makyarnik could say another word, a blade ejected from her sleeve and pierced his armor. She aimed for his heart. All right. Come back next time for more uh, Touristicu Chronicles. I mean, movie review next week. And then more Touristicu Chronicles. Uh, cool. Well, yeah. Uh, we'll see how this plays out. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Mm -hmm.